You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. All right, Ryan. Jonathan. I saw a meme on the Twitters yesterday that made me cry. It was a dinosaur, and it said, the thing about being an adult is nobody asks you what your favorite dinosaur is anymore. And I realized that was true. Oh, man. (laughs) So uh, this like prompts two questions. So is Fisher into dinosaurs yet? Yes, he is. Does he have a favorite dinosaur? Yes, he does. What is it? He loves the Triceratops. That's a strong dinosaur. What about you? What's your favorite dinosaur? Parasaurophilus. Whoa, that's kind of a deep cut. What's the Parasaurophilus? Parasaurophilus is the crested dinosaur. He's the one that eats plants and then has like this random thing jutting out of his head that he used to, uses as like a horn. That's not cool. like not like to impale you, but like as to like signal to his homies that he's around. Yeah. All right. When's the last time you were asked what your favorite dinosaur is? Let's see. Probably thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> probably like the first Bush administration. Wow, that's a while ago. <laughs> I, I think there's no wrong answers except for maybe Velociraptor. Because then yeah, Velocir- basically, yeah. you're either basic. So the only thing you know about dinosaurs is you saw Jurassic Park. Yep. Or you're from Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> In both of those things kind of disqualify you. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to ask me what my dinosaur is? I've basically been digging for you to ask me for my dinosaur. Hey, have you not right, picked Jonathan. up on the hint? <laughs> Jonathan. Yes. What is your favorite dinosaur? It's a pterodactyl, man. It's like a flying dinosaur. Like, what's cooler than that? <laughs> Do we have any other content besides dinosaurs, Ryan? No, we don't. You want to keep talking about dinosaurs? Is this dinosaur podcast? <laughs> so Dinosaur Train's pretty cool. So it's a Jim Henson joint. And um. Like the the family of pterodons adopts a T Rex baby, and they basically get on the dinosaur train, and they the dinosaur train is magical and can take them across time periods, and they go to the different time periods to learn about the different dinosaurs, and they meet them. Yeah, there's a board game. This is like for adults, not for kids. That I used to play in Oklahoma called American Megafauna. Okay. <laughs> and it was invented by a scientist. And basically each turns like 50 million years. And the whole point of the game is you have to kind of mutate your species into something that adapts to whatever the next big climactic shift is. So it kind of teaches you about like, um, you know, how the climate changes over time, how the shape of North America changes. So if you're in a zone that gets flooded uh, during a kind of heat wave, then you die unless you can kind of mutate to something that swims anyway. So that, and you get to kind of keep mucking around with, uh, 
I know why growing up in Oklahoma, I was never introduced to this board game. <laughs> we actually had a friend who was a creation, who's a literal creationist, and he still liked the game. <laughs> like he would just be like, "We'd be that's like, good. but this is based on science." Like, yeah, well, that's just his opinion, but you know, it's just fantasy. Obviously, that was his take on it. <laughs> so it's basically it was like he was playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, or Star Wars or something. That was just, that's what he said. It's just like Star Wars Dungeons and Dragons. It's a cool story. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the whole point was you had to keep your species line alive through all these climactic shifts. That's kind of cool. I wonder yeah. if I can find that online. Probably. And then it ends when the humans show up because the humans kill off all the megafauna because <laughs> they're super predators. So anyway, Ryan, how about we think about what curlers are what kind of dinosaurs? Do we want okay? So we want to we want to assign. I'll have to find a list of dinosaurs. A, assign a dinosaur to each curler. Yeah, yeah. That's hard. There are seven this, species of dinosaurs did, according to Google, so we could be here a long time. How about we, we did do? A, we did this with rock. We did this with rock bands during the Briar. That's true. All right, here is the ten most famous dinosaurs. That roam the earth. So I'll pick them because if we do all 700 species of dinosaur, that could be so a very basically long episode. Like T Rex, Stegosaurus, Triceratops, Velociraptor, Pterodactyl, or Pterodon. That's yes. I'm guessing are those five all in the top? You two? already got them already. So T Rex is number one, the undisputed okay. king. Triceratops. This is loading very slowly. Um, Stegosaurus, of course. Velociraptor's number three. Okay. Spinosaurus, he's an up-and-comer in the popularity charts. Archaeopetrix, Brachiosaurus. Okay, what is Archaeopetrix? I don't know. Allosaurus, yeah. Apatosaurus, and yeah. Dilophosaurus. This is from dinosaurencyclopedia.com, which I assume is the world's leading expert site authority site on dinosaurs okay all right so should we work i'll send you the link and then we should work down like from number 10 to number one uh are we really doing this <laughs> yes this is the best idea all i've right. had all, all summer i'm not saying it's a good That's idea fine. i'm saying it's the best idea i've had <laughs> um all right so number 10 ryan is dilophosaurus a dinosaur i've never heard of i must confess let me see Here's the read-up from Dinosaur Encyclopedia. Despite what you saw in Jurassic Park, Dilophosaurus didn't split poison. It didn't have a neck frill. It wasn't the size of a Labrador retriever. However, this dinosaur remains popular with dinosaur enthusiasts even after they learned the truth. After studying fossils from North America and China, scientists believe that the Dilophosaurus, which means double-crested lizard for its fancy head decoration, was about 20 feet long from head to tail and weighed about 1,000 pounds. And with a mouthful of sharp teeth, they are thought to have been scavengers supplementing their diet by hunting for small animals and fish. All right, so who does that sound like to you? Okay, so... They don't spit poison, but they've got a reputation for doing that. They have a fancy... They don't have a neck frill, but they were double-crested lizards. And had fancy head decoration. So what you're telling me is how they are character, how this dinosaur was characterized in the media is not 
um, accurate. Yeah, they're not. They're and, not nasty like they've been made in the media. Yep. Um, they but, got some. They got some plumage going on on their head. But they can still. Um, they can still get the kill. They can still get the kill, but they're they're scavengers, so they're not getting mm-hmm. the big game. They're kind of they'll win, but they won't. You know. Man. Remember, this is number ten, Ryan. So we got to save the big guns for like the T Rex category, right? Um. All right, I'm going to put a candidate out there. Okay. I'm going to go with. Are we doing teams? We're doing players. Uh, you can. We can fit our narrative. I mean, we're the media. We fit our narrative. <laughs> all right. <laughs> However, we want to. Right, we can so, bend the rule. We bend the rules bend to fit our narrative. I would say. All right. Assuming in Canada, I would say Matt Hamilton because he's been kind of like, and it's because Schuster's kind of been set up as the heel since 2018 in the Canadian media. Got the hair plumage because Matt's got the flow yeah. going, got the COVID oh, yeah. flow. I, I mean, they did get the big kill, but yeah, you know, they, they kind of they, they, they kind of scavenged it because they start they they didn't exactly sweep through the field there. Yeah, yeah. So they're and they got teeth. They're, right. they're ready to play. It's a what good do you think? One. I like it. Double crest. I like it. So team, team Schuster slash Matt Hamilton. All right. Is Dilophosaurus. Dilophosaurus. Okay. okay. You don't spit poison despite what the media tells you, man. Yep. I love it. All right. <laughs> Dinosaur number nine. Apatosaurus. Apatosaurus owes its popularity to the fact that it used to be known as Brontosaurus. This is actually Alice's favorite dinosaur. A name okay. that epitomized dinosaurs for generations of kids who watched the Flintstones cartoons. But beyond that, it's one of the best attested sauropods of the late Jurassic period. Its size makes it a favorite at Chicago's Field Museum of Natural History. The Apatosaurus, or deceptive lizard, hatched out of eggs that were up to a foot wide. That would have made a nice omelet, I gotta say. But it's yeah. their unique look in adulthood that's a marvel. As they likely grew to 70 to 90 feet long, its neck towered above a wide body, which helped it graze on tall foliage. And the purpose of its whip-like 50-foot-long tail is anyone's guess. Fossil been discovered in Colorado, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Wyoming, and Utah. All right. What do you think? Very tall. <laughs> well, no, not, not, I'm saying that it's, it's kind of mythical. You know, we grew up... Uh, you know, the, the Flintstones popularized it. Yeah, um, its sheer its sheer size um, kind of brings you awe when you're when you're looking back on it. So I'm going to have to say this is probably going to be uh, like one of the greats, like right. um, like an Al Hackner type. I would Al say. Hackner. So I, I would say I'd say like uh, what about Pat Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> It's a good choice. One of the greats, a classic. Classic. You grew up. You grew up hearing about hearing about him. Yeah, I like it. Good choice. They even did uh, Netflix. Even did a mini doc on his team. That is true. Growing up, Pat Ryan was the guy for me. I think I've haven't outgrown that either. <laughs> it was a simple strategy too. Just hit everything. And that's probably what Apatosaurus did. Yeah. All right. Number eight, Allosaurus. All right. This is the smaller than a T-Rex, but faster and more vicious with serrated teeth. 
Allosaurus was the all-purpose predator of the late Jurassic period and may even have hunted its prey, including sauropods and stegosaurus, in packs. Most of the discovered fossils are from Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, but they've been found in Portugal, Siberia, Tanzania. Became Utah's state fossil after 46 of them were discovered in Utah's Cleveland Lloyd Quarry. All right. So overshadowed by T-Rex, but still extremely vicious. And kind of like, maybe like a baby T-Rex. Yeah. Uh, Matt Dunstone. No, no the, the book has not been written on Matt Dunstone yet. Oh, so we're, we're okay. So, who, who, all right, who's like a baby T Rex then? Like, who's somebody? Who's somebody that maybe won one Scotties or Briar, but their success was during a period where someone else was kind of the dominant force? Ah, that's a good question. Well, I would say Cheryl Bernard fits that category. Okay. Right, like she never won a Scotties. She she came close mm-hmm. a couple of times. Won an Olympic trial, um, won an Olympic silver. Kind of high profile, but you know didn't have the kind of vast career resume of a Jones, Colleen or JJ. But still extremely vicious in her own right. And and, and yeah, very vicious. <laughs> she doesn't seem that vicious on camera, but not like as not like as a human as a not a, yeah. We're not. <laughs> We don't judge people as humans here. We're we're judging like their careers here, man. We're yeah. not <laughs> and a very long career where on tour she was, you know, yeah. constantly hitting money, doing well, always a threat to get out of Alberta and always a threat of the Scotties. So yeah. Okay. All right. Number seven. Brachiosaurus. Like the Velociraptor. The Brachiosaurus owes much of its current popularity to a featured cameo in Jurassic Park, munching placidly on tall trees and sneezing on actress Ariana Richards. But this huge giraffe-like dinosaur was fascinating in its own right. Based on fossils found in Algeria, Portugal, Tanzania, and the United States, it is believed that an adult Brachiosaurus could have had an 82-foot-long body with 30-foot-long neck and weight of 62 pounds. Okay, so had kind of some brief, brief fame in the nineties. <laughs> brief, brief fame. Um, not quite as, not quite as big as, as the Apatosaurus. Yeah. Still impressive in their own right. Yeah. Um. Munching placidly oh. on tall trees and sneezing. <laughs> oh, what about um, what about Gee Hemmings? Yeah, it's a good fit. Brachiosaurus, I like that. <laughs> All right, Gee Hemmings is Brachiosaurus. All awesome. right, number six, we got our first bird dinosaur. Cool. I, I'm gonna mangle the name. It looks like Archeo. Tetrix or Tetrix or Terex. Archaeoteryx. Let's go with that. (laughs) Archaeoteryx. Was it a bird, a dinosaur, or something in between? Whatever the case, the exquisitely preserved fossils of Archaeoteryx, meaning ancient wing, are among the most famous of such artifacts in the world. Even though it had wings, the jury is still out on whether or not it could fly or also glide. 
And that, coupled with its scary-looking claws and razor-sharp teeth, give the imagination something to run with. One such fossil was found in Germany as a favorite at the Wyoming Dinosaur Center in Thermopolis, Wyoming. All right. So this is the guy, kind of like a tweener. We're not really sure what it is. Kind of an all-arounder, I guess. Mm-hmm. Bit of hit, bit of draw. Maybe plays lots of different positions. Oh, is this Randy Furby? All right. <laughs> Archaeoteryx is Randy Furby. It's a good, good candidate. Do you have any? I was going to go with Kathy O. Okay. Because she's kind of like, so she's kind of, um, she's kind of like Curling's great utility player. I don't mean that like denigrating mm-hmm. way. Like you can just plug her into a team mm-hmm. and that team does well. And she can play basically any position. So the current Archaeoteryx is like a Kirk Myers. Yeah. I'd say Kirk Myers. Like it's like a, I'm not quite sure what the, like in other sports you'd say utility player, right? Or you'd say, I don't know what, in, it depends on the sport, right? But, you know, an all-rounder kind of person. Every team that wins has at least one of them. Yeah, you need someone like that. Like a basketball, you call them like a glue guy or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. someone who can kind of just slides in, plays the role well, can do everything well, maybe not the master of anything though, right? Yeah, like in baseball, this would be like Ben Zobrist. Yes. Yeah. All right. Number five, Spinosaurus. An up-and-comer on the dinosaur popularity chart, Spinosaurus, or Spine Lizard, was distinguished by its vast size, 59 feet long, and likely weight of a couple of tons, more than the T-Rex. There's a mysterious 5'5 sail on its back, a fin-like fan that's purpose is richly debated. From the few fossils discovered in Egypt and Morocco, it is assumed that the Spinosaurus was mostly a fish-eating river dweller, perhaps one of the first dinosaurs that could swim, although its strong back legs have some believing it could run up to 15 miles per hour. Spinosaurus. So it it can do everything. It can do everything, but it's also an innovator. It's the first that could swim. Who you got? Uh, I got, all right. I got a couple of candidates. If we're, if we're playing, I'm playing up the innovator angle. Yeah. So maybe the Howard boys, because yeah. they basically invented the free guard zone or the early version of it. Late innovator might be Brad Gushu. Cause he basically broke curling with Broomgate by figuring out all the directional sweeping stuff. I like it. Any other candidates? Uh, what about Hasselborg? Okay. She's kind of fi- she kind of figured out the analytics aspect. Yeah, and yeah, can do every- that team can play any way you want. I like that. All right, we'll go with Hasselberg at Spinosaurus number five. Okay. Yeah. All right, number four. Is this your favorite? Is Stegosaurus of, your favorite? It, oh, it's one of my favorites. Out of this list, I would go with the Stego. All right. No one knows why Stegosaurus, which translates to roof lizard. <laughs> had such distinctive plates that on average were two feet tall and two feet wide. That's pretty wide. But that hasn't kept this tiny brain dinosaur from holding a tight grip on the popular imagination. Some believe this dinosaur's spiky plates could have been brightly colored and could move, and the spikes on the tail might actually have been horizontal instead of vertical, which would have helped ward off predators. 
Thanks to its debut in Jurassic Park movies, theme parks, games, toys, and trading cards, this elephant-sized dinosaur from the late Jurassic period won the hearts of many as a peaceful plant eater that roamed the plains in what is now North America. So they got spikes, but they're a peaceful plant eater. Yeah, peaceful, but if you try to attack them, like, you're done for because you can't get past the plates, and then the spikes get you right in the side, and then you're done. Yeah. I think that, to me, that translates into, like, an aggressive draw style of play. So is this, like, Jennifer Jones? Yeah. JJ's the Stegosaurus? I think so. All right. That makes sense to me. Peaceful, right. and then if you try if you try to go on the offense, you're probably going to wind up dead. All right. <laughs> sounds good. All right. Number three. We've already agreed on the on kind of two key criteria for this one. So it's the Velociraptor. So we agree. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess calling them basic might be insulting, but they have to be from Toronto. <laughs> We've agreed on Over, that. Overhyped <laughs> and from Toronto. Is that basically what we're... <laughs> this could get dangerous, Jonathan. All right, we're going to be canceled in Toronto by the end of this episode. Uh, more than any other dinosaur, the Velociraptor can trace its popularity to Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, which wasn't as good as Jurassic Park, in which this feathered raptor, ancestor of birds, was portrayed by the much bigger uh, Dinoculus Velociraptor. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that Greek, whatever the hell that is. But actually means swift Dionys- and it's, it's, it, Are you ready, Jonathan? Jonathan, what? are you ready? It's yeah. Dionychus. Dionychus. Velociraptor was small in size, smarter than most dinosaurs, and a fast runner on its two hind legs up to 40 miles per hour, which was great for hunting prey when it wasn't scavenging. Fossils that have been found in northern China, the Gobi Desert, and Mongolia and Russia show sharp teeth and long, sickle-shaped claws always give crowds at dinosaur museums extra paws. So overhyped. From Toronto, small, kind of goes on the goes on the attack. Like even when there's really no point. So I'm going to go with Drake. <laughs> Drake, all right, Drake it is. <laughs> Unless you have a curler. Well, if you if you count. Uh... <laughs> I was going to go. I wouldn't say the overhype part I won't buy into. But I was like, maybe the Madaws, maybe Sherry Madaw, maybe Wayne Madaw from Toronto or greater Toronto area. I guess they're from Cottage Country or Toronto. Maybe yeah. Mike Harris. Huh? See if it's a raptor. Famous on TV. From Toronto. Um, Goes on the attack a lot. Richard Hart. Epping. John Epping? Actually, yeah, Epping's not bad. If you again, if you leave, uh, if you take away the overhyped, the overhyped part is the t- is the one that makes this tough because like it's tough to say. I don't think because I one, I don't think Epping is overhyped. No. Um. If anything, he's not hyped enough. <laughs> it's just the fact that he hasn't, you know, gotten. He hasn't won a briar. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If you get if you take away the overhyped aspect, then yeah, Epping. Epping. All right, sounds yep. good. And uh, and, and Madaw. 
I mean, Madad, you, yeah, Madad was definitely not I mean, overhyped. That if you get rid of the overhyped part and you just say, "Oh yeah, it's uh, you know this this animal that's going to slice you open and leave you." <laughs> <laughs> and, and leave your carcass on the side, then yes, yeah. my dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, we're getting to the, the final two, Ryan. Okay. Triceratops. Is this one of your favorites? Okay. It's my son's favorite. Oh. All right. Does he have a Triceratops toy? Um, No, we haven't gotten toys yet but we have books and right currently this is the only specific dinosaur whose name he can say all right he either says dinosaur or ceratops (laughs) all right (laughs) so it's probably the most instantly recognizable of all dinosaurs in the north america in the north american triceratops with its parrot-like beak and huge frill at the back of its head it combined a gentle planting disposition with three fearsome-looking horns that were probably used in courtship. Ooh, a bit of love going on here. And keeping hungry tyrannosaurus and raptors at bay. It's kind of interesting, the sex life of Triceratops. <laughs> uh, the dinosaurs from the late Crustaceous period, and the adults were big. It has held spotlight in a lot of movies such as Night at the Museum, and was later shrunken considerably to promote films as a freebie in fast food meals for kids. A dinosaur room at any museum is an awesome place for dinosaur lovers, and the Triceratops gets a lot of attention at the New York City's American Museum of Natural History. Uh, You can see the evidence of an injury from perhaps a fight with another Triceratops on the fossil of this museum, and the Washington, D.C. Smithsonian Museum. Kids of all ages still can't wait to see the museum's beloved Hatcher a favorite Triceratops specimen enjoyed in a complete form by crowds since 1905 until it fell apart 90 years later to be displayed as a T-Rex meal. Wow. All right. That's deep. There's a lot going on with the Triceratops. There's a lot going on with the Triceratops. <laughs> it's got a bit of a sex life. It's uh, We're going to ignore that. We're going to ignore that. for Because right. technically all of the dinosaurs did. Otherwise, they wouldn't have lasted very long. Well, they're not here now, are they? That's true. So, like, who's who's someone who kind of has a reputation for being able to play the top, top players really tough, but maybe isn't necessarily the one that's going to end the tournament on top? Uh, okay. I got defensive out of this. So, who's a master okay, of yeah, defensive, defensive curling? Defensive curling. Oh, Colleen. Yeah. I think that's a good choice. All right, Ryan. Yeah, the the, the king of defense. Because this the is king number, of defense. This is number two. Yeah, All this right. is the number two dinosaur. And Sounds so good. we have the we have the best of defense followed by the best of offense. Give us the best the number of one offense. Dinosaur. The T Rex. Who is the king <laughs> or queen of curling, Ryan? Basically, just who's the greatest of all time, right? Who's the goat? The undisputed king of dinosaurs, Tyrannosaurus Rex is immensely popular thanks to a fawning press, countless starring roles in movies like Jurassic Park, and a really cool name, Tyrant Lizard King. So maybe they're a bit of a a tough skip, too. Impressive fossils and models of T-Rex are standing on two hind legs with short arms outstretched towards visitors is what excites kids at all ages. Chicago's Field Museum and New York City's Museum of Natural History 
Hill City, South Dakota's Black Hill Museum of Natural History, to name a few. With an average body size of 43 feet and a five-foot head teeming with razor-sharp teeth, it's got a face not easily forgotten. Based on its bone structure, it probably weighed about seven and a half tons. Adult African elephants average about six tons. And despite its size, many paleontologists believe it could efficiently run after prey and certainly outrun a human. Well, the undisputed queen with the with a cool nickname would have to be Sandra Schmirler. I like that. That's a good choice. The under the undisputed greatest of all time, and even has the cool Schmirler the curler nickname. I I would say Sandra. All right. Do you have Do you have an idea? I like that. That's the that's the that's the T Rex. I'm sticking with that. All right. All right. We're gonna recap. I can't remember them all. <laughs> I guess no, I not. can't remember them. All. I can't remember them all either. <laughs> all right. Let's go put a lot of work into this. All right. What else we got, Ryan, this week? Uh, we have news. Do you want some news? Yeah, let's do some news, man. All right. Uh, starting off with, with sad news. Uh, World Mixed is canceled, man. Yeah, I saw that. I'm... I'm a little worried. There's been rumblings for a while that WCF wants to get rid of the seniors in the mix and just focus mm. on the, the high performance events. And I'm a little worried. This is, this is an ominous omen for that. I gotta say. Yeah. I was very worried about that. Uh, the reason that they gave for canceling the event, if you're a fan of soccer, you're probably familiar with the term fixture congestion. And that's kind of what happened here with all the, postponements and cancellations and what have you as a result of the pandemic. Um, there, I mean, there just isn't the staffing really to, to run it at the time that they wanted to. So world mixed, uh, is unfortunately canceled for 2021. I did see the lo- a lot of disappointed people. Um, you know, this was going to be the debut of Portugal, uh, yep. at a WCF event. Um, I actually saw the poor, Nigerian mixed team. I saw that they were actually having a practice in Denver and then found this out like the next day. So a lot of disappointed federations out there because this is an event that I think a lot of different federations look forward to. It's one of the few where you don't have to go through a qualifier where you can just sign up and go. I think it's important for development. Um, I think a lot, even the the bigger countries have realized that this can also be an event that's used for development. We saw younger teams from Japan and younger teams from Canada uh, at recent events, and uh, both of those teams did well. And those players have gone on to to better things, uh, particularly the skip from the the men's Japanese team wound uh, from that from the last mix. He wound up finishing second this year at the Japanese Championship. So. Uh, I think it's an important tournament, and I th- like you said, Jonathan, it would be uh, extremely disappointing and I-, I think a big blow to the game if the world mixed were to ever go away. Yeah, I, th- I worry about that. I think, I think it's actually the only event now with direct entry to a world. Um, Wouldn't the seniors be sign-up? That's true. So the seniors in the mix, and I, I think there's value in that, right, mm-hmm. that you hope the WCF and the member associations see value in, in those events being participatory for lack of a better term, as in 
and it, it like in playing it, it was a lot of fun to play people from all different countries. And there were some very good people and some, you know, uh, there's some Olympians we played and then there's some people who just started curling a few years ago playing in it and meeting people from all different kind of countries, hearing their stories, seeing what's going on there was kind of a lot of the fun of it. Uh, so yeah, I think, th I think there's value in that event, especially for the emerging countries. But I think mm -hmm. that even a lot of the, the kind of powers see value in at least sending a competitive team and taking a run. Yeah. You, I think that you can't say that you're about growing the sport and developing the sport and then get rid of an event like this when everything else you've been doing has also been against uh, that growth and development mindset, like limiting the number of teams at mixed doubles worlds, um, you know, it, keeping this event on the calendar, I think is important. Yeah. And, and then this kind of goes back to something we talked about in the wish list episode where, where I floated the idea of just kind of different world A, B, and C for the men's and women's championships. And one of the, one of the ways in which the schedule is getting congested is you have these regional qualifiers now, right? The the Pacific Asia and the Europeans, which both take a fair bit of time. And they're, plus you now have in the Europe, you have the European Seas, which is like another mm -hmm. whole other thing. Plus you have the, Olymp the world qualification event, right? So there's mm -hmm. multiple of these events that I actually think if you just went to like a world A, B, and C structure, you could condense uh, the European North American and Asia Pacific down to one event, and then the European Seas and the the qualifier you condense that down to one event. So you're taking five events and condensing down to two. I I would strongly encourage WCF to look at that as opposed to kind of cutting other World Championships if the issue is really con uh, event congestion. Yeah, I would I'd be interested to hear the positives and negatives about that. I'm still kind of pro regional playdowns. Um, because it uh, it mean it does kind of support uh, the growth and development, especially right now. I don't think the Pacific Asia Championship has grown to the point that maybe you can do that. Because um, you're still getting emerging nations there. Yeah. And I think until we've until we've developed the the Pacific Asia zone a little bit more, I, th I would hold off on that. Yeah, maybe. Although I think if you're if you get 16 at the Worlds and 24 at the the B, which is quite feasible, you can then you can then have like a World C for the emerging nations, right? And and that would kind of create fair competition for the new countries where there's a lot of new countries coming in. There's a chance to build over time, get a feel for the international competition, and win promotion from there. Whereas if you're an emerging country in the Asia Pacific. There's, there's there's a lot of games you're just going to be run off the ice to be frank if you look at some of the line scores and b there there really isn't a champ there's there's not really a clear way for you to win your way out of the asia pacific right now if you're not one of the the three or four major powers there but we had, we did ask Harold Woods that when we had him on from the Nigerian curling team and we said yeah. would you rather play against teams that are kind of your own level and develop that way and he said, no, he'd rather play the best. He feels like yeah. they get better by playing the best. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's value in that too. I think, I think that's the big debate, but I think, I think the big thing is that's the big tension right now. Right. I think in mm -hmm. world curling is, um, do we go to keep, do we go to kind of building up the regional qualifier model or do we go to like a world, a world B world C? 
but yeah, as long as I think that we need at least one event out there that is participatory where you don't have a qualifier to get into it. Um, one of the arguments that even you and I have had before in this show, Jonathan, was if mixed was a good uh, candidate for an Olympic path or to, to push to get it included in the Olympics. And I used to think, yeah, absolutely, mix should be in the Olympics. You actually convinced me otherwise by saying, no, if it's um, a part of the Olympic path, then all of a sudden high performance takes it over and you don't have it as a development event. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of strongly believe that, that there needs to be there needs to be something there for compet- like whatever I'm not sure what you want to call them. Amateurs, compet- like recreational, competitive, something for people who are not mm-hmm. going to be playing in the slams to still aim for. Um, and I think if you take that away, there's significant problems at the grassroots level in terms of standing clubs, in terms of keeping people involved. Um, you know, you see a lot of people wandering off, but there's gotta be, we, we really do have to kind of look at ways to build up the base. Well, I mean, to be frank, letting the pros pro, right? Like I have nothing mm-hmm. against like the top 20 teams in the world gunning for, for slams and trying to make a professional career out of it. I think it's, it's, what do you do for the other 500 teams or so that they want to do something above the club level and feel a way, a path to progression and play for something of significance that isn't while realizing that perhaps the Olympics and the the slams might be a bit of a stretch. All right. Sad news out of Alberta where West Ridge curling club in Stony Plain is a complete loss after fire consumed the building on Wednesday, June 23rd. Stony Plains fire chief told global news, the fire department arrived to flames rapidly spreading across the roof, which quickly caused the roof to collapse Fire chief said an investigation would be conducted to determine the cause of the fire. Uh, if you go to the Westridge Curling Club's um, website, they have set up a GoFundMe. And if you are an Alberta resident, I believe they are doing a 50-50 draw to also help raise money uh, for the club. So good luck to all the curlers at Westridge Curling Club there in Alberta. Yeah, that's, that's sad to hear. Hopefully some insurance can kind of cover a good chunk of the damage there. Um, and hopefully they're able to kind of build it back and kind of renovate the place. So it was, is I didn't quite get, is it totaled and they have to build from scratch or is it just a very serious renovation job? Uh, no, I saw a photo, uh, I think from CTV afterward and it's, I mean, it's down to the foundation. It's so, gone. So it's got to build a new building, which is yeah. a lot. It's expensive. Yep. Um, but yeah, so the, yeah, sad sad news there in Alberta for for the members of, of that club. Um, here in the U.S., uh, the Glitter Bomb Spiel, which is the original LGBTQ plus bond spiel in the U.S., is returning January 28th through 30th at Potomac Curling Club uh, in Laurel, Maryland, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. Registration opens on November 7th. And for more information, you can visit DC, uh curldc.org yeah sounds good i like i love potomac curling club we had we had some fun there when we played there yeah that was a good time uh i think that's the that's still the only time i've ever been up there i just i hate dc traffic so much (laughs) it is (laughs) i had a job interview at a university just outside dc once and I arrived at Reagan National at 5 p.m. I was told it'd be a 25-minute drive, and it took two and a half hours. 
Yeah, that sounds right. And then everyone that I met while I was doing the job interview complained about the traffic and a lot of people were late for my for meeting with me. And I kind of decided at the end of the interview. And was that uh, was that George Mason? It was George Mason. I was like, eh, do I really want to spend my time sitting in a car? So, yeah. Yeah, George Mason is like the middle of Northern Virginia traffic hell. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird location. Nice campus. Yeah. Kind of built in the 70s and everything. Nice design, but it is, it's not, I guess it's kind of like one of those things where they put it in the middle of everything and as a consequence, it's nowhere kind of thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's not, that's not a reason to avoid the Potomac Curling Club, which is a lovely curling club. <laughs> yeah, regardless of traffic, you should participate in this bond spiel because it's, I think it's a, a, I have yet to play in it. We've only, we, we played in the Cherry Blossom a few years ago. We have, I haven't been up there since they started doing this bond spiel, but man, like I see photos from it and it just seems like a blast. So um, yeah, if you, if you have the chance to, to get to DC for that one, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, I think that, well, that's all the news that I really have. Uh, it is like, I have noticed on Instagram that it is, we are definitely in the middle of like curling marriage season. Oh, are there a lot of curling weddings going on? Yeah, there were like four last week. Oh, what, what were they? <laughs> um, the ones I remember, well, our friend Jamie Danbrook got married. Congratulations, Jamie. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. In Switzerland or in Canada? I believe it was in Switzerland. Wow. All right. Yeah. And then the other three I remember are Toei, uh, Tori Kawana from Japan, Madalena Dupont from Denmark, and Marie Turman from uh, Estonia were the other three that I saw. But oh, wow. we don't know any of them. We just know Jamie. <laughs> yeah. But we wish all of them many happy returns. And congr- what do you wish someone when they get married? Congratulations. What's that? Um, what do you wish people when they get married? Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> What did, what, so did people, what, did, what did people tell you? <laughs> uh, Ryan, it's been so long since I've seen human beings that uh, I don't <laughs> know how to behave around them anymore, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I guess, and we're going, so you're, we're both curling in July in two yeah. weeks' time. Yeah, we're That's doing, kind of big deal. We, we decided we're doing drop-in leagues, which is just going to be um, here in Richmond. We're just going to do $25 per week because the only time we could get ice were Saturday nights during the summer, uh, which isn't great for people's schedules because I knew right away I was going to be gone for like three of the seven. So uh, yeah, we're just doing drop-in, uh, which is good. I, like, I'll invite a bunch of my friends to come out with us. And of course, none of them will actually come curl because that's all I hear is, oh yeah, I'd love to come out and try curling. But then when I give them a time and date and a dollar amount, uh, that's when that's when I get turned down. So yeah, I'll spend, I'll spend July and August failing to get my friends to curl. Yeah, I think that's... I, from experience, I think the best way if you want to take your friends curling is if in, for an arena club, this is tricky to do, but it's basically like a corporate or oh, a yeah. group group day out where it's like you just get eight and book a lane and go uh, and promise them beer after or something. Yeah, that's food. basically what I'm going to do. Like yeah. I'll, buy, I'll buy a 12-pack of Coors Light, just show up and pay. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I guess that's it. I don't know. Right. I guess I'm gonna, so that means we're going to be off the next two weeks because next week's uh, holidays. It doesn't mean anything. I'm not going. That. I'm not going anywhere. Are you going anywhere? You're not doing anything for Fourth of July, are you? Since you're oh, I've got I've got big things, man. All right. Okay. 
We can try to. Are you going? Oh, I. Are you? Are you going to Twickenham? To I see... am not going to Twickenham. I'm not watching any rugby. Okay. <laughs> that's Why? good. That's good because rugby union's boring. Why would you go to? Why would you go watch something like that? <laughs> all right. I am. All right. So Saturday, Alice, my wife, is going to be swimming one and a half miles. It's called the Pier to Pier in Bournemouth. So she her her okay. lockdown hobby is is wild swimming. So now she's wild. now she's kind of gotten pretty serious. So she can now do like a good two miles out in the okay. ocean, which is swimming in the ocean is not like swimming in your pool. No, that sounds. <laughs> So this is like, I think for triathletes, but she, this is her first time doing it. So she's got a plan okay. to stay at the back and they do you in heats and stuff. But, um, okay. so I got to go there. So it's a, that's a full day trip because it's in Bournemouth, which is about 45 minutes away. And so it's kind of like a run running race, but there's a whole production around it. So okay. we're doing that. And then Sunday we could schedule around it, but she's getting the vaccine on Sunday. She scheduled nice. the vaccine for the day after the race because she didn't want the side effects no. to take away from the race. So no, there you go. Well, that's awesome. That's how I'm spending July Fourth weekend. I'm probably uh, I'm probably just gonna hang out with some cooked animals in Coors Light. That's probably gonna be the extent of my July Fourth weekend. All right, that sounds good. It's a good way to be. All right, man. Well, uh, if we can if we can work it in, let's record again. But uh, yeah, enjoy um, enjoy uh, celebrating losing to America next week. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive, and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.